This Climate One podcast is sponsored by General Motors. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. From the Commonwealth Club of California, this is Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. I'm Greg Dalton. Do you know exactly how much orange juice and butter you have at home right now? Appliance makers are working on smart refrigerators that can scan barcodes of products on the shelves and reorder them automatically. Sixteen years ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger had a similar refrigerator in a science fiction movie titled The Sixth Day. And consumers could even buy a real one around that time for about $20,000. The movie did pretty well, but the refrigerator flopped. But today, American homes are dotted with internet-connected devices that allow you to manage your home from your smartphone. You can open your front door while you're not there, adjust your thermostat while driving, and spy on your nanny anytime, anywhere. Then there are smart meters that can send power to the grid from solar panels on the roof and EV chargers that can juice up your car overnight when electricity is cheap. On the show today, we will discuss what the smart electric grid and Internet of Things mean for the American way of life. Is the smart grid vulnerable to hackers and terrorist attacks? Does it endanger your personal privacy? What is the role of the government and private companies in protecting and policing this new frontier? We're joined by three experts with deep knowledge of these issues. Retired Army General Keith Alexander was head of the National Security Agency from 2005 to 2014 and chief of the U.S. Cyber Command for four of those years. He retired shortly after Edward Snowden leaked documents revealing the NSA was secretly collecting data from all phone calls Americans made inside the country. He's now CEO of a company he founded, IronNet Cybersecurity. Alfred Berkeley served in the U.S. Air Force and was president of the NASDAQ stock market from 1996 to 2000. He's been on the boards of WebEx, Safeguard Scientific, and several other companies. He's a director of the World Economic Forum USA and co-author of The New Paradigm for Cybersecurity. Dave Mount is partner in the Green Growth Fund at the venture capital firm Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield & Byers. He's focused on software and services in the energy sector and serves on the boards of Upwind Solutions and Choose Energy. He previously helped manage a portfolio of investments at the oil sector for Sankety Advisors, a $20 billion unit of Bain Capital. Please welcome them to Climate One. Welcome all of you. Uh, General Alexander, this connected world where everything's connected to the Internet, that sounds like a hacker's dream, is it? Well, it's a hacker's dream, but it's also a dream for us as a nation. Uh, When you think about, you know, I was just uh, marveling at this new game, Pokemon Go. I don't have it yet. Uh, (laughs) I know my grandchildren. I have 16 grandchildren. They'll say, why not? Um, But when you think about what good is coming out of the Internet, what we, our country, created here, there are some phenomenal things that are going on. And... Just because we're connected doesn't mean we have to forego civil liberties and privacy. I honestly believe we can do both and should do both. And I think that's part of the discussion I know we'll have today. 
But it also gets us to a point, but what can we do with things like renewable energy and tying things to the grid and some of the orange button things that are going on with bringing solar companies together in a more efficient manner to use uh, these energy things for the good of our country. These are tremendous opportunities. So, you know, hackers think about numbers. You know, I was thinking about the uh, watching your nanny. I have I have four daughters, uh, and hopefully none are listening right now. And they send emails. I don't read all their emails. I, I'm sorry, my wife does, uh, and I'm a bad father. I have 16 grandchildren. I don't read all their emails. So when you think about just the volume of stuff that's going on, the practicality of it, and you think about the numbers it would take, it would be unrealistic. However, we do need to get the security civil liberty, privacy, right. And one of the reasons I'm here is we've got to inform the American people about what that means, what's going on, and have an informed debate on it. Not one that's sensationalized and inflamed, but one that is informed by the facts. Alfred Berkeley, uh, Silicon Valley, you've been involved with uh, tech companies. Uh, uh, is this just kind of a, uh, remember the segue, some things are going to revolutionize uh, our lives, didn't happen the way Silicon Valley said it was? How do we know that this is for real? Is it not just some hype to sell us more gadgets? Well, it's already changed our lives. We can't economically run this country without connectivity. We have these banking transactions that are going on by the billions, and we don't think a thing of it. And the reason we don't think a thing of it is because they're reliable. They're reliable because they've got a lot of smart people trying to make them resilient. And we have benefited from that so much that we don't even notice it. We've surveyed our listeners on Twitter, our followers on Twitter, and we asked them the question, do the greening benefits outweigh the security risks of our ever more connected lives? 60% of the people said that's true. 33% said false, and 7% said there are no risks. So our small group on on Twitter, at least, is saying that this is um, the benefits outweigh the risks at this point. I want to uh, roll a clip, and then we'll get Dave Mount into the the discussion. Uh, Samsung and MasterCard have teamed up on a new fridge that can order groceries from a touchscreen on the appliance. This is just one example of how the technology business is working on a smart, connected home. Let's, Let's listen. Analysts predict that by 2020, 50 billion things will be connected to the Internet, the equivalent of six devices for every person on the planet. That's the power to transform your home into a connected family hub. Experience seamless ordering for multiple merchants, where you can add everyday items to your intelligent cart and pay with a single secure checkout. So that's a rosy view of, of an easy life with a smart refrigerator. Now, I want to hear from another view, which is a darker view of how this, this connected life might play out. And imagine you have a smart house. Everything from your lights to your thermostat to your television and water temperature is connected to a smart system. Now, imagine that system got hacked and all your devices went haywire at the same time. That's the premise for the season premiere of the TV show, Mr. Robot. Let's listen. Well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, nothing is working. Unplug what? Everything is inside the walls. That's how it was installed when I ordered the smart house package. Now the alarm is going off. And it's freezing. It's below 40. 
So that's a woman inside her home where the stereo's going on, the alarm's going off, she's talking to someone saying, my smart home, everything's going haywire at once. Dave Mount, which of those futures is more likely? Are they both, both possible? I think that they are both possible and that the, the reality of that, of that second video is something that we should be uh, aware of and that we should uh, plan around. And, and I'll explain that a little bit. So to give a little bit of context around numbers, the Samsung video talks about 50 billion connected endpoints. As we think about the, the current state of the world, there are, there are, say, 12, 15 billion connected endpoints today. But in the power sector, in, in the sector, you know, the energy sector that we're talking about, there are 7,000 power plants in the United States. So we're talking about going from 7,000 power plants to a world of 50 billion connections, or maybe if keeping it in the energy context, 7,000 power plants to 200 million solar panels, or 120 million um, air conditioners in people's homes. And I think that, that the challenge becomes if each of those control points are potential vulnerabilities for hackers, uh, it is sort of a, a hacker's dream. Um, I, I don't think it has to be that way, but I, I think that the, the convenience of that connected home case uh, is exciting, but finding ways to make sure that uh, all those controls can't be switched off at the same time is important. Alfred Berkeley, uh, what do you think about that scenario? There's a lot of convenience, but boy, there's a lot of chance. I think back to the days of the, the flashing clock when people had VCRs, or how many people really know how to operate their, <laughs> all the functions on their TV remote control. What do you think about that dystopic or that, that uh, uh, version of the future? Well, I think it really gets down to the way people think about resilience. You know, when I uh, buy something, I often think about what would happen if I really needed it and it weren't there. I do buy flashlights, I do buy candles, I do buy the things that give me backup. And I think we're going to have to do more of that as things get more connected. But people are smart. They'll figure that out. General Alexander, uh, the smart grid, your company is partly uh, aimed at protecting people or companies from that sort of thing. Uh, do you think that uh, someone could really, you know, mischief? I guess there's a difference between a terrorist attack or kind of teenagers, you know, wreaking mischief. Uh, how do you think that this uh, smart home, you know, could it really go haywire for Americans? You know, that's exactly what I'm worried about my grandchildren doing to me. <laughs> uh, there, you know, it is, it's amazing to see the young people today, how wired they are and what they can do with devices. And I think it's a combination of educating, uplifting, informing. How do we use these in, in, a, in a safe and reliable manner? I am more on the first than I am on the second uh, video. I think, you know, yes, people can get in and hack. People can cause problems. We ought to solve that up front and ensure that the first is the benefit, not the second. So having said that, what it also brings into play is for our nation, what we've had for the last few hundred years is we've been secure because of two oceans and hard to get to. And now with the Internet, we're connected to the rest of the world. And so there are two threats to our country, terrorism and cyber. And we can solve those. We've got to solve those. And that's, you know, one of the big things that the American people have to step up and say, OK, what can we live with? What is the right thing to live with and what do we put forward and have that debate? And it ought to be a debate in a democracy that puts all that together, because at the end of the day, we choose. We choose which way we're going to go. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think 
as Alfred said, there are we have good people out there. We can we can solve these issues. And uh, you know, I I look at how the opportunities for solving cancer, for growing these devices, for connecting, how much you can talk to your family around the world, how you can pass notes. My wife communicates with our daughters, you know, hundreds of miles every day. And it's wonderful. And we want that. And we can have that. Currently, what is the source of the biggest threats and what's the magnitude of their cyber intervention in the United States? You were head of the U.S. Cyber Command, General. So, the, so I would break the threats out into areas. There's criminal activity that you see going on right now. That's trying to steal money. Why do people steal money in cyberspace? Well, it used to be in banks. Now it's in cyber. They can steal your your identity. They can steal your password and, and steal money from your bank account. Or they can put ransomware, which will be the biggest one hitting industry today. Ransomware comes in and encrypts all your data. And if you want to use it, um, you have to pay them tens of thousands of dollars and they'll give you a key to decrypt it. That one you're going to see an awful lot about. That's growing. That's the criminal side. Then you have the theft of intellectual property. And that theft of intellectual property really for this area is one of the things that has impacted us the most over the last 15 years. We're an innovation nation. There's even books out on this. Look at, look at what goes on in this area, Silicon Valley. You're almost the incubators for ideas for the good of the world, for the future. People steal those and then outproduce those devices. We lose future capital. That's why I think it's the biggest theft of, uh, over the years. And then finally, you have nation states. And when you look at what's going on around the world, this is the one that concerns me the most because it has the biggest impact on us as a nation. If uh, things continue to go bad in the Middle East or in Eastern Europe, those that wish us harm can most easily do that in cyberspace. And we aren't ready. We're making progress, but we're not where we need to be in securing our nation. And that's where government and industry work together for the common defense. And, you know, it's almost back to a point where you look at what our forefathers who made this country when they came up with citizen soldiers, you now are looking at, so how do we work together to defend ourselves in cyberspace? And what are the, the ways forward? So I am concerned about that as a future act. And you saw last month, uh, 14 June, that NATO defense ministers said this was a domain of war. Uh, and so it's growing. It's going to be there. We cannot unilaterally stop it. Those that wish us harm see this as a way to come after us. So we ought to get out in front of it and solve it. And is it nation states or is it units? I mean, there's one building in Shanghai that was part of the Chinese military that was identified. Is it nation states? Is it rogue actors? Is it these sort of non-state actors? Which ones are the biggest threats? Well, for each of those groups, and it's interesting, nation state actors have the most sophisticated tools and can create the most damage. They're the ones that have the encryption, decryption, all the capabilities that can create significant damage. Some countries allow their people that work daytime for these to operate nighttime on the network. So that's a concern. Call those your real concern here. Then you have smart hackers. Uh, you can go on, and, and I would encourage uh, you to actually get a demonstration and put it out for 
the people here to see of the dark web. Get, get one of the companies, I know IBM and others kind of show what the dark web is and how easy it is to go on the dark web and order um, malicious software to attack somebody. You can pay $2,000, use bitcoins, get ransomware to go after a company. And when you see that it's, they're using the tools that we use for Amazon and eBay to order things, to now order like things in, in the dark web. And this is an area of great concern. So when you look at it, I'm worried about the criminal activity. That's the most predominant. That's the one if you were to say, I'm going to see a thousand of these and one of these big ones, a thousand of these and one of these. And I think it's that kind of ratio. But these can cause the most significant damage, the big attacks on it. If you're just joining us, that's General Keith Alexander, former director of the NSA. We're talking about the smart grid and Internet of Things at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. Our other guests are Dave Mount, venture capitalist from Silicon Valley, and Alfred Berkeley. Uh, let's talk about some of the celebrated cases. Sony Pictures, Target, the Democratic National uh, Committee, all been hacked, uh, revealing uh, personal data, corporate data. Dave Mount, what, what are the lessons of those celebrated hacks? Sure. I think that... There are, there are probably three. The first is that typically the way in is pretty unsophisticated. Um, the second may be that, that the, the work is, um, once, once in, it's, it, it is pretty sophisticated. And I'll start there. So the, the way in on these attacks is typically some sort of phishing. Uh, typically someone will send an email that they weren't supposed to send, and um, someone will click a link, in a, and, and click a link that enables a macro in Microsoft Office, uh, and, and then a piece of bad software will get into a computer network. Or in, in some cases, it will be a USB stick. In the case of Stuxnet, which was a famous Iranian uh, nuclear, nuclear case, it, was, it came in through a USB stick. So typically, it's some unsophisticated person on a network that is, that is compromising uh, the uh, intellectual property, or in fact, in some case, physical assets. Um, so that, that's unsophisticated first. The second one, and this is maybe uh, a little bit more of a cause for concern for the, for the green grid and the Internet of Things is once in, um, I think the attacks are getting more sophisticated. So this is not necessarily as relevant for, for Target or the DNC, but with Stuxnet, with a, a famous hack that happened in, in the Ukraine in, in December, uh, with another hack that, is, that has happened, uh, there have been several hacks in Germany where basically you get into a piece of equipment with a, uh, a, a phony email, a phishing email, or a USB stick, and you can take down multi-million-dollar pieces of equipment. Or in the case of, or in the case of the Ukraine, it was take down 600,000 people's power um, over the course of a day. And so, once in, you're, you're finding people who know how to use sophisticated control systems and know how to use industrial equipment for, for you know, pretty powerfully. Um, in, in, there was a German case where a steel mill was actually taken down. The control system was taken over, and the, and the mill actually burned itself up um, because, because someone got in with a phishing scheme and, and then changed the control system. So I think that, that those are, are two of the lessons. I think that the, the third lesson is probably that uh, there's a Brandeis quotation that is, it's, it's something like, sunshine is the best disinfectant, or sunshine is one of the best disinfectants. And I think it's important in the case of industrial security and, and the industrial IoT that these hacks become public, um, and, and maybe not right away, uh, because there are concerns about making these uh, vulnerabilities, exposing these vulnerabilities, and then allowing them to happen in a sort of cascading way across the world. But 
the, the U.S. government has decided uh, to uh, organize a, a group that focuses on cybersecurity in industrials to say, look, if we find vulnerabilities, we are going to work with the companies who have those vulnerabilities for, it's, it's a period of, of something like 45 days. And if we can fix it in the 45 days, we'll publish a patch. If we can't fix it in those 45 days, we're still going to expose to the world that this is a problem. And I think that they use that, that's sort of the concept of sunshine as a disinfectant, to really create some incentive for those companies to, to do something about it. Alfred Berkeley, is this protecting these things, uh, corporate data, credit card information at, at shopping, at uh, department stores, et cetera, is that the job of that corporation? Is it the job of the U.S. government? Because cyberspace has been largely free of government intervention. That's why it's so successful. Well, I think that as, a, as the world gets more uh, integrated and, and interconnected, there is a role for government, and there's a role for private sector. I spent 11 years working on this public-private partnership issue uh, on a federal advisory committee, and it's very, very difficult because it overlaps with regulation. It overlaps with the plaintiff's bar and lawsuits. It's not a simple issue. That being said, the technology itself is evolving, and one way of looking at what has to happen is that a couple of additional layers to the well-known ISO stack, the, the, the dis- description of the way computing works, starting with a chip at the bottom and applications at the top, uh, needs to evolve. There needs to be a, a structured security layer in there. And above, at the very top, there needs to be structured languages that are being used to describe the information that's coming through the system. Chips are getting powerful enough now that we're on the verge of being able to get what a password was originally supposed to give you, which was security. Passwords were installed way up in that stack I referred to. You're now going to be able to have passwords equivalent, much lower in the stack, and you're going to be able to have essentially a white-labeled Internet where people where you only deal with people you already know, and a blacklisting uh, internet where you're dealing with the open public. So you're going to get some changes in the technology towards solving these problems, but it's going to take a lot of investment and a lot of cooperation. But General Alexander, isn't for every technological lock, there's a key, there's a way in. And a lot of the tech sector has, has given up on keeping people out and recognizing people are going to get, break your lock, however, however strong it is. Is that right? I'm not sure I agree with that. I think there are ways to secure data. And I think what you have to think about is what's what's the right standard to go to. Um, Dave mentioned most of the attacks happen because somebody made a mistake. And when you think about what we've asked companies and people who secure networks to do, we're asking them to be right 100% of the time on every area that they're in. And when you think about it, being right 100% of the time, having been in the military, you think, hmm, what's the chances of us being able to count to 100, 100%? And so you start to look at that. You say, okay, somebody's going to make a mistake. And when somebody makes a mistake, an adversary gets in. So what that brings you to is maybe the approach we're taking doesn't work, and we need a new approach. And that new approach may be, why don't we have the machines help us secure the things that machines are very good at? What are machines good at? Systematically reviewing everything on a, in an organized way. Going after that, making sure everything's right. And they can do it 100% of the time, 100% reliable. And let people do what people do really good. We're good at 
looking at this whole data set, think about all the information you're taking in right now. As humans, you're taking in terabits of information visually, and not one of you are having a problem doing it. Machines can't keep up with that. And if something happened, you know, a banana came out of one of us all of a sudden, you'd notice that right away. So how do we, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't take that banana. They're back there. We put them back. But if you think about that, so it really says, how do we adjust and evolve our security system? And in my opinion, we can do that. We, we can and must do that. And uh, Alfred brought out about the different layers. So bring all those together. And I think there are some great opportunities uh, coming, coming out that exactly address that. And, of course, it gets you into, so now what do you do with respect to security of the system and now security of the nation? And how do you provide opportunities for law enforcement and intel community to do the security of the nation while we protect the data as the security of individuals? I want to bring this to the grid. Uh, Ted Koppel, the journalist from Nightline ABC News, wrote a book, uh, Lights Out, said that the grid is vulnerable as it is today. And General Alexander, it could be out for a long time. The government is unprepared. This is, he painted a very dark sort of doomsday scenario. How realistic is that? Well, I think, I think what uh, Ted Koppel uh, paints is for a persistent uh, world-class actor, that's a threat that we face. And I think what Congress and industry have to do is figure out how do we work together. You bring out an incredibly important point. And that is today, uh, as companies and as individuals, if a nation state were to attack us in cyberspace, should we be expected to be able to, to uh, defeat a nation state attacking us? We don't in the physical area. Why is it in cyber? And then if we say, nope, the government's got to step in there, you get to the question, so how do you do that? So the recent cyber legislation was to say, well, government and industry ought to be able to pass information back and forth. This is, I can use Sony a little bit better, but it applies to the grid in the Ted Koppel book. So if you think about Sony being attacked by North Korea, um, what you want the government to do is not come in after Sony was destroyed and have the government come in and say, you lost all your data. You've got everything white. The North Koreans did it, probably did it over a film. And the people at Sony are going to say, well, we knew that. That's not helping us. What we really wanted you to do was stop that from happening. And you say, well, that's a good point. But in order for the government to help stop that, they've got to see it. And this is where the air defense picture is a great concept. So think about air defense. Many of you who are going to get on an airplane are really happy that the radars that are down there are going to track your aircraft to make sure your aircraft doesn't hit another one in flight. Bad things happen when that, when that occurs, just a technical observation. Um, so if you think about it, what do we do and how do we then bridge the gap with data that doesn't have personally identifiable information, industry to government? That's where we've got to get to so that if it's government that's got to help weigh in, they're prepared, or sectors, or individuals, or systems. So that's the discussion that I think we've got to have about how are we going to accomplish what Ted, how are we going to secure what Ted Koppel puts in his book? And the answer is by working together. Dave Mount, a lot of Silicon Valley companies want the government as far away as possible. 
And yet what we just heard from the general is that there needs to be closer collaboration and information sharing with government. What does tech companies think about that? So I think you're right. Most tech companies need to be sure they can succeed without regulation. And that's how they would think about it. If, if, a, if a company requires some piece of regulation in order to be successful, very difficult to succeed or very difficult to get the backing of, of venture capitalists. I think in the case of security, and I think in, in, these, in these discussions that we're having around security for the Internet of Things, security for the grid, there is a, an important distinction to be made around um, the security of personally identifiable information or emails from a, from a Sony type of situation and the actual physical security that can be at risk because of vulnerabilities around the grid. And I think that that, uh, that distinction is clear enough where I would say the government probably does have a role in, in organizing or orchestrating to defend against threats that could have a physical security safety impact. Some of those things, like if, if a power plant could, could actually get shut down. The cases that, that uh, Ted Koppel uh, describes in his book, um, those seem separate and distinct enough from my perspective to, to warrant having, having a broader could, discussion. Could I add to that? Because I think what Dave said is very important. And this is where some of you can help. If you think about what's going on right now, you, you want, everybody here wants to ensure that your bank account is secure. You know, I have $38 in my bank account. I think that's all that's left after the grandchildren. I want that to be secure. And I want my wife's transactions on the web to be secure. I'd like my medical data to be secure. I'd like my communications to be secure with industry and other partners. So you have one level of security for what we just talked about there. But my grandchildren who may want to play Pokemon and do all that, they could play, we'll call it the Wild West on the Internet. They can have a great time. They can go out there. They can do things. And security, other than I want to make sure that nobody's messing with my grandchildren, but I think you know, playing in that area, the security issues are far less. So you may have two different areas where you say, yeah, i got to secure the government. I'd really like to make sure the power doesn't go out, Ted Koppel's thing. I'd like my health care. I'd like my financial. i put some of these in. And some companies are going to say, I'd like to be in there too. I'll call that the secure world. So you have a secure world where everybody comes in and says, I'm going to come in there like I do into the airport. I'll go through TSA. I'll make sure that this aircraft is secure, and I'll live by these rules. But in these transactions over here, I'm going to be in, in my free world. I can do, play, do things, and, and do things over here. I think some kind of evolution there would, would be in our best interest, at least to look at and consider. And I think those are the kinds of things that we have to discuss. General Keith Alexander is the former head of the NSA. We're talking about the green and smart grid at Climate One with our other guests, Alfred Berkeley and Dave Mount. I'm Greg Dalton. We're going to go to our lightning round and ask some uh, brisk questions, uh, single answer questions, uh, starting with Dave Mount. Uh, true or false, Alexa, the new speech bot from Amazon, is more useful than Siri. True. Also for Dave Mount, Alexa sent flowers to your wife for you after a recent argument at home. False. So Alexa can listen and watch everything in your home, right? And you don't know exactly yes. what Amazon is listening to. Alexa heard the argument, but I was not, uh, I was not smart enough to ask for her to order flowers <laughs> as well. Um, Alfred Berkeley, the idea of a machine listening and watching everything in your home is a little creepy, yes or no? Yes. 
Keith Alexander, General Alexander, the possibilities of that excite you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it actually causes me sleepless nights just thinking about that. No offense, Alfred. I mean, Alfred Berkeley, uh, true or false? Venture capitalists are not as smart as they think they are. False. Dave Mount, true or false? Venture capitalists have a terrible track record in the energy sector. True. General Alexander, you enjoy answering questions from guys like me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Alfred Berkeley, the United States has run up huge federal deficits on two wars funded off the national balance sheet and underinvested in infrastructure. Yes. True. Uh, Excuse me. Dave Mount, you are glad data stored on your iPhone is encrypted. True. Uh, Alfred Berkeley, the NSA can look at it anyway. True. General Alexander... Your former colleagues peeked at my iPhone in preparation for this program. False. Uh, also, for, it, we didn't have your name. We didn't know you were sitting on it. <laughs> no, I just kidding. Sure. Uh, uh, also, for General Alexander, you enjoy Jason Bourne movies. I do. <laughs> in fact, I look amazingly like him. I, <laughs> <laughs> I try to sell that. I know it's not working. They're all the same, but they're still good. He's um, great. Alfred Berkeley, true or false, some cybersecurity companies are hyping the threats of hackers to pump up their business. True. Also for Alfred Berkeley, Stuxnet may come back to haunt the United States. True. Dave Mount, government protection of data held by companies could be considered a form of corporate welfare. True. General Alexander, uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, or FISA Court, is a rubber stamp. False. Last one for General Alexander. Uh, first word that comes to your mind when I say President Donald Trump overseeing the NSA and CIA. Wow. <laughs> that ends our lightning round. Let's give them a round. Thanks them for that. <laughs> And now, here's a Climate One Minute. The electrical grid of 100 years ago was fairly straightforward. Power went in one end and came out the other. Lights on. But with the advent of smart meters, customers have discovered that they can take their household power into their own hands. And as PG&E President Tony Early tells us, utility companies also benefit from the technology in ways they didn't expect. But then we discovered, you know, these meters tell us a lot about the system. Back before we had them, we didn't know you were out of electricity unless you called us up. And so if there was an outage at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because a storm went through, we didn't know till you got home and called us. Well, we discovered with these meters, the meter tells us, hey, I'm out. Uh, so we know to mobilize our trip before you even call. In fact, we might even get your electricity back before you even, even get home. Then we found oh, we could attach that information coming from the smart meters and we could send it right to our switching gear and if there are 1,000 customers out, we could switch around so that only the 100 customers nearest where the, the failure happened are out. And so you can think of this as now the grid is getting smarter uh, and I think we're going to see all kinds of innovations as new technologies come along to be able to make the grid smarter and faster and more efficient. Tony Early, Chairman and CEO of PG&E. 
He spoke with Climate One in 2015. Now back to Greg Dalton and our live audience at the Commonwealth Club. Let's come back to energy. We're talking about a decentralized world where rather than a few small power plants, people are making energy, Dave Mount, uh, on their rooftop. Uh, How is that better than fossil fuels, and is it more vulnerable to attack? Sure. So that decentralized energy picture has has a number of benefits. I think it is more sustainable, so there's lower emissions. It's... Um, uh, it's, it's decentralized. It's easier to turn on and off at a small scale. So you, you can turn it on and off in, por- in percentages of a home as opposed to in, in 100,000 person increments. So I think that it's safer. It's theoretically more reliable and theoretically safer, theoretically more secure. And can I go into why mm-hmm. more secure? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the theory about, about this security is the, the vulnerability of the grid comes at communication nodes. And right now, again, there are 7,000 power plants in the United States. Each one of them has a a generating capacity to serve hundreds of thousands of homes, typically. If one of those gets taken out, hundreds of thousands of homes go go out as well. So the idea is that if you've got millions of solar panels or millions of batteries that are powering people's cars or tens of millions of small microgenerators or hundreds of thousands of wind turbines, if one of them fails, the consequence of that failure is much smaller. Uh, so I think that th- there is a resilience in a more decentralized grid that, that has certain definite benefits. General Alexander, what are the benefits moving away from fossil fuels? You've heard Al Gore give a presentation recently about this. There's a security aspect. So what are the dimensions of moving from fossil fuels to cleaner, and what we heard Dave just said, uh, more secure energy? I, I think it's something that we... Uh, the people in this room, our generation should leave for the future generations. When you look at, I, I was impressed. I saw a, a presentation from uh, former Vice President Al Gore on uh, climate, and it was amazing to see the damage that's being uh, that's occurring, and what we can do for solar power and renewable energy to turn that around. We've got to do that, and in doing that, when you think about it, where the major power companies like PG&E and others can actually come into play is on creating what Dave was referring to, but I'll take it one step further, a mesh network where solar panels around the country can be used to give us sustainable power with other forms of energy in a way that we've never done before. That's where it's all going to go. Now the question is, do we lead, follow, or get out of the way? And, you know, I think what uh, Dixon Wright is doing with Orange Button with Al and trying to push that solar thing is absolutely the right way to go. We ought to lead, get small businesses in there, help do this. It's, it saves the future for my grandchildren, for our grandchildren, and it's something that we ought to do. General Keith Alexander is former head of the NSA. I'd like to ask Alfred Berkeley, will the incumbent companies, the fossil fuel companies, will they try to block and slow down the, the future that General just described? I think there's always a tendency on the part of incumbents to protect what they have. But I think the insurgent newcomers into the game are playing such a forceful game that they're going to force the issue. And you're going to see the existing incumbents trying to get on the sustainable uh, bandwagon. 
I'd like to talk about your, uh, your own uh, security, what you do in your life, and can s- suggest to people who have uh, solar panels at home. Uh, Dave, Dave Mount, you have a very connected uh, life. Uh, what do you do to protect your own security uh, and devices, and what suggestions would you have to other people? Sure. So in that, in that connected life, we, ha- we do have an Amazon Alexa that, that we, we talk to a lot, and my, my four-year-old son knows how to call up the Star Wars theme song on the Amazon Alexa. It's his, his favorite thing to do. Uh, we have pr- a programmable thermostats. We have a, a doorbell that has a camera on it. Um, and and we, have, we live a life that is, just, that is online. Uh, in order to protect that, we, we do have LifeLock, which is a security program that monitors credit agencies to, to make sure that it knows when personal identifying information is out there. We ha- I use two-factor authentication everywhere I can, which means when I, when I plug in my password on a website, I typically get a text message from that service confirming that I, that I have my phone with me and putting in a secondary password, and I, and I use that. We also use a password manager program that, that recommends and can sometimes in an automated way change my passwords about once every six months. So we definitely have decided to just kind of put everything online. We're doing everything we can to, um, to manage the security online, but... At the same time, we get, I, I get notes every once in a while from a website that, that my password may have been compromised, and, and I just view that as, as the cost of, of having the benefits of everything else. General Alexander, what kind of passwords do you have, and do you use a password manager? I've always thought that that's like putting all the goodies in one place for the hackers to get. I think what Dave said, I actually do use one. I think LastPass, uh, I think doing that, you know, I want 16-plus character passwords that are really hard to break. Uh, and I want, I use LifeLock too. And so exactly as you said it, I think those are things to think about for all of us here. Uh, and I think LastPass uh, or companies like that that do this is actually the wave of the future. I think we will get to biometrics and other ways, but for the time being, I think those are the best way. And here's why. If you get all these passwords and you think about all the different things you do, what do you do? You write them down or you put them on your phone or you put them in a password file on a file. And what? Well, shoot, that's just showing somebody where they are. So that's the best thing that I can think of today is using something like that. Um, I think going, I use two-factor authentication. So everything Dave said, I do. Uh, I think it's great. Good job. We're talking about the connected and smart grid at Climate One with uh, just heard from Alfred Berkeley, director of the World Economic Forum USA. We also have General Keith Alexander, former director of the National Security Agency, and Dave Mount, a venture capitalist from Silicon Valley. I'm Greg Dalton. We're going to go to our audience questions in, in a minute, but first I wanted to talk about, uh, get the general comment on the Patriot Act. There were some revisions le- recently. Update us in terms of bulk collection, the, the lone wolf, roving wiretaps. There's some new changes in the Patriot Act, I think, as of last year. Great question. So can I, I'm going to tell this with a story because I think it'll help everybody understand it. You know, you mentioned Snowden. So a year before I left government, uh, Snowden occurred in 2013. I was called down to the White House for a meeting. So I go down there, and there's this big table, the sit room. You have the national security staff on one side, me on the other. I thought, hmm, this looks odd. And uh, they say, well, we want to have a presidential review group look at NSA and the program. So they slide these files across the table. And I look up. I'm not going to tell you exactly what I said because I'm not proud of it, but 
words to this effect. I read this, yada, 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 board member of the ACLU. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Um, <laughs> this guy's suing us and you want them to investigate us? That doesn't make sense. Well, the president has decided. So the next day, I go back up to NSA and all these review group guys are coming in. And sitting about where you are, we have big tables. He's sitting there like this. And I thought, ooh, body language, all bad. And uh, so I say, we're going to tell you everything that we did. We'll be 100% transparent. You'll get to see the whole program. And so I walked him through it. And I said, but it won't be the seniors. We're going to let the young people who run these programs over the next five weeks share everything with you. So I and all the seniors left the room. And the young people over the next five weeks when the groups came up ran them through it. Five weeks later, I uh, come back in the room to see, well, how did it go? And the guy jumps up from around the table and comes around. I thought, ooh, he's going to attack me. Now, I'm in pretty good shape. I think I can take him. Um, But he comes around, he grabs my hand, and he starts shaking it like this. And he goes, you and your people have the greatest integrity of any agency in government. I'm stunned. And then I said, quickly, tell the White House. Tell the American people, tell Congress, and tell the people of NSA. So I'm going to read you something I had texted to me while you were asking that question. Just kidding. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? Here's what he said uh, publicly. To say I was skeptical of the NSA is in truth an understatement. I came away from my work on the review group with a view of NSA that I found quite surprising. Not only did I find that the NSA had helped to thwart numerous terrorist plots against the United States and its allies in the years since 9-11, but I also found that it is an organization that operates with a high degree of integrity and a deep commitment to the rule of law. Signed, Jeffrey Stone, board member of the ACLU, presidential review group member, and the acting dean at the University of Chicago. Now, to get to your specific question, so I get a call last summer. I'm out, and I'm having a great time. I, you know, I'm doing that. And uh, I get a call from Jeffrey Stone. And he said, the Patriot Act is coming up again. We need to, we need to do a joint op-ed. And I think, you're a board member of the ACLU. I'm a former Army guy. How could we possibly do this? And he said, it's simple. We should do it for the good of the nation. I thought, okay, that makes sense. But what, why do you want to help push this through. And his answer was simple. He said, if we have another attack, we won't have civil liberties and privacy. And this program has the courts, Congress, and the administration overviewing it. And we looked at that and wirebrushed that. And people have looked at that for six months, and they've not found one person doing anything wrong that we hadn't asked them to do. That's what our government needs to do. And I want to support it rather than let something go through that. So that fall, the Patriot Act was reaffirmed. Now, we made two changes, and actually, I agreed with both changes with Jeffrey Stone. Keep the data at the service providers, and for every time you look at it, have a judge say yes, instead of after the fact, before the fact, so that everything that they do, everything that NSA does with that data, everything that they look at, and every result, is scrubbed by the courts, by the inspector generals in all these areas. And for the American people, those facts aren't really out there in a way that's digestible. We get the pieces. They're collecting all your data. They're listening to your phone calls. They're reading your emails. 
Trust me, you're great people. You're very interesting. Nobody's reading your emails from NSA unless you're talking to a terrorist. And then you want somebody to do that, like the Najibul Azazi case, because that stopped the bombing in New York City that would have killed hundreds of people, stopped by these two programs. And so from my perspective, we, we, the American people, I'm a citizen soldier now, have got to help set this right. You know, these are good people at the National Security Agency trying to protect us in our way of life. And if Jeffrey Stone, a board member of the ACLU, can come out and say, and they're protecting our civil liberties and privacy and doing this in a way that I'm comfortable with, well then, let's help the American people understand that. So Greg, that's where you can help the American people understand it. Because I do think, at the end of the day, I joined the Army because I love this country. And I like what we do. And the people that it stood for. And the freedoms that we have. And we ought to ensure that. And the military and the intelligence community that we have out there is doing that. But they get slammed for the 1% and not credited for the 99% of the good things that they do. And so that's where we've got to set this right. And you asked me a political problem, a question. The reality is we're in the wrong place in politics, too, if that's the way our politics are going. You know, this is the greatest country on earth. Made by, you know, I look back at my father in World War II and all those, and you think about what these people did to make this country great. Well, it's our chance to take the next step and do it with the Internet and do it with what we're doing. And, you know, that's something to be proud of. And we ought to all work towards that. I know that took more pipe fire. Um, Thank you. You're listening to General Keith Alexander, former head of the NSA. Uh, You mentioned Edward Snowden. Former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder joined David Axelrod on his program, The Axe Files, back in May and weighed in on the debate over Edward Snowden. Let's listen to what he said. We had the capacity to do a whole range of things under these listening programs. Um, But after a while, uh, I remember sending memos to the president and asking, you know, do we really need to do this given the um, the way in which we are focusing on people's lives and given the return that we were getting, which was not, you know, I think in any ways substantial. And so I think that. you know, you can we can certainly argue about the way in which Snowden did what he did, but I think that he actually um, performed a public service by raising the debate that we engaged in and by the changes that um, that we made. Former uh, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, General Alexander, he, he said two things: that the return was not very substantial, didn't get security benefit, and also that Edward Snowden performed a public service by raising the debate. Your response to those two points? I think that the attorney general, with all due respect, is wrong. Here's why. These were not NSA programs. NSA was asked to do these by Congress, the courts, and the administration. This isn't something that NSA said, geez, let me go do this. And I would just put on one case, I'll give you one case, that a true case, and you can look it up, about what these programs did, and then ask, just ask yourselves, is that worth it? In 2009, we intercepted with the 702, the email, 
um, authorized by the court, if one part was an Al-Qaeda-related terrorist talking to somebody in the United States, we were authorized to go to one of the service providers, get the email, and see what they were saying. And if it talked about terrorism, terrorist plots, or a terrorist event, to give that to the FBI to protect the country. That connected the dots from 9-11. And we got just such an email on 6 September 2009. Uh, we shared that with the FBI. FBI went and found whose email that was, and there was a phone number. And that belonged to a guy named Najibul Azazi. And so three days later, they said that phone number that's in there was Najibul Azazi. By the court, we're then authorized to look in the metadata program. And the reason you have it there, and you can ask Director Bob Muller and Jim Comey, I said to them, do you need this program, yes or no? And they said, keep it going, we need it. And in this case, you could, we were authorized to go out one hop, you see who Najibul is talking to on one hop, and then the second hop, who they were talking to, and the third hop, who they were talking to. In the third hop, we saw terrorists coming back that isolated to a person in New York City. So we were able to say in three or four hours, on that phone number that you said was Najibul Azazi, we see a guy in New York City that looks bad because of this. You ought to go see. We just don't know who it is. We just have a number. We don't have a name. We don't have the content of their communications. We have a number, date, time, group of the calls, and that's it. FBI goes and finds a guy in New York City. At that time, Najibul Azazi starts driving across the United States. The email talked about imminent attacks in some place in the United States now believed to be New York City. And the FBI, concerned that the attack was imminent, raided the house of the individual in New York City and found several backpacks with explosives in various states of readiness. That would have been the biggest attack on U.S. soil since 9-11. That would not have happened without these two programs. Hundreds of people in New York City would have been killed. And for, for me, and somebody says, well, is that worth it? Yes. Let's go to our audience questions. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you all for your time today. Uh, General Alexander, should American companies work proactively with law enforcement agencies or intelligence agencies to provide methods of access for any data collected by IoT devices, even if it's just metadata? I, I think companies and the government should work together. I'm not sure I would say proactively. I would say under a framework that we agree with. And um, here's some of the things that we already agree with. Child pornography, human trafficking. What about terrorism? And so then the question is, so what is it that we're agreeing to? It goes back to the education question. How much do we want industry to share with government and for what reason? Is it for security or is it for cybersecurity? On cybersecurity, we actually want the government to share with industry, here's all the bad things we're seeing, please give us a heads up. And we want industry to share the same thing with government so we're both protected. And when somebody's getting attacked, we don't have a 911 call. Um, call 911, get government help. We ought to set up some way of doing that at network speed. So I think those kinds of things should be set up in a framework that is transparent, that the American people can say, I agree with that, and if necessary, have a vote on it. Um, but I think that's a very important point, and it gets back to, so where and how do you set the framework and where do you set the bar? Uh, and that's the debate that we should have. 
we're coming to the end. I want to bring it back to climate. Uh, earlier, General uh, Alexander framed climate as a bit of an intergenerational moral issue. So, Alfred Berkeley, uh, what do you think is the most important thing to move away from fossil fuels to get to that clean energy future that General described? What's going to get us there? I think that we need, in addition to the uh, obvious solar and wind, we need baseload hydro. And uh, the technology's coming along to make that work. No dams, free river flow, and the power is enormous, and it's coming. Dave Mount, you look at lots of different technologies. What's most exciting to you about moving to that clean energy future to secure the climate, get away from fossil fuels? Sure. I, I have a very exciting vision in my mind of a, of a connected grid that is powered by solar, powered by wind, taking power into people's homes, powering battery packs, and then being used to, to power electric vehicles, maybe electric vehicles that drive themselves. And I think that, that when, when you have an electric vehicle in, in your home that becomes a great battery store and sort of takes the intermittency and challenges of what happens when the clouds go over the sky uh, out of the equation. And I think that, I, I hope that that seems obvious to us 20 years from now and that that's where we're headed. General Alexander, a lot of the threats we've been talking about, hackers or terrorists, they have a face, they're visible and tangible. The climate threat is a little more abstract and it's far away. It's harder for people to see the villain, to see the enemy. So how do you suggest making people understand the urgency of climate and then how to get at it? 2015 was the hottest year in history, and before that, the hottest year was 2014. Look at the um, movement and warming of the oceans, the numbers and the, the strength of the storms that are hitting, and the impact on our world. Um, these are life-ending events if we don't get our hands around it in 100 years because all the species that we know are either moving to the poles or dying. And so I think what we're talking about in terms of climate change and what we can do with renewable energies addresses that issue. And again, I think, you know, I'm not political, uh, but I was impressed by what former Vice President Gore put out in his program. Now, a fact check on everything would be great, get everything 100% exactly right, but that shows you the issues that we Pace. And I do think forums like this to use renewable energy and connect them, create a, a super grid, a super smart grid that ties all that together is part of our future and is something that we should welcome. General Keith Alexander is former head of the NSA, now head of a cybersecurity firm. We've also been hearing from Alfred Berkeley and the uh, venture capitalist David Mount. I'm Greg Dalton. I'd like to thank our audience here in the room at the Commonwealth Club and online and thank our guests. Thank you all for coming. You can listen to the program at climateone.org and join the conversation on Twitter using our handle at climateone. Thank you all for coming. Climate One is the sustainability initiative at the Commonwealth Club of California, a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer. Kelly Pennington is our director of audience engagement. Jane Ann Chen is the producer. The audio engineer is William Bloom. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Join us next week for a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. <laughs>